Hello from Gummersbach and welcome to our IEF podcast. Today's episode is very special. Not only because education is a tremendously important aspect for every person's development towards self-determination, prosperity and happiness in life, but also because we would like to commemorate the late Dr. Stefan Melnik, who has contributed immensely to IEF. In fact, he helped build and develop IEF to where it is today. Education and exploring the best way to deliver it has always been a theme very close to his heart. And this is why we would like to share with you a talk on education that we recorded a few years back and that brought together four wonderful experts. Professor James Tooley, who is best known for his work on low-cost private education. He has worked in various parts of the world, bringing together insights from his research and has published on low-cost private education in, amongst others, the book The Beautiful Tree. Ekta Soda is an entrepreneur who is active in the field of education, an edupreneur perhaps, who runs a number of low-cost private schools in India with great success, both in terms of students' learning success and in economic terms. Manali Shah, who is also a facilitator at IF and has worked for the CCS, the Center for Civil Society in Delhi, who actually pioneered in India the idea of voucherizing the school system. And of course, Dr. Stefan Melnik, who has been an independent consultant specializing in training programs for executives. He designed and directed workshops on human rights, the market economy, environmental issues, basics of liberalism, secularism, and of course, education reform, often, but not exclusively, at IEF. Stefan also moderated this discussion. I hope you enjoy this talk. So um, what we want to do here is uh, to have a short, uh, short discussion, exchange experiences. And I'd like to start off with James. James, um, why? Uh, what, what is it that led you to look at um, education, look at education in developing countries? How did you actually arrive at that subject of, you know, education, private education for poor, low school, low cost schools in the field of education? My, my first job on, on graduating with a mathematics degree was to go to Zimbabwe, which is in the news yes. today as we... As yes. we uh, We, we speak, with Mugabe seems to be under house arrest. But I went there as a young man, as a mathematics teacher. Mm. Why did I go there? Because I wanted adventure. I wanted yes. excite, you know, the excitement mm. of travel and yes. going some places new. But obviously, being a mathematics teacher, that sort of got me into the idea of education for development. And uh, later I came back to England after th three years there uh, with a question in my mind, which was... Um, Why, why is the state involved in education? This was the, the sort of question that that experience and others had led me to, to have. And I, uh, I, I did my PhD, my doctorate, on that issue, exploring justifications for government involvement in education. And I came out as someone totally against state, state intervention in education. You know, that was the, 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 the result of my thesis. And therefore, I became an expert on private education. Mm -hmm. Private education, as we all know, and we all knew at the time, private education is about the rich, the elite. And for whatever reason, I felt my life's mission should be about the less blessed, the 
people yes. in society. And uh, so, so one day it was just in the, yeah. I was in Hyderabad on a, a World Bank mission, as they call them, um, to looking at the elite private schools. Mm-hmm. I was an expert in private education and I, I wanted to go and see what's happening in the slums of Hyderabad. And I wandered out there and I found that first low-cost private school and then another and another. And that for me was the different parts of my life came back together. You know, yes, the yes. desire to serve the poor as well as this interest in private you know, education. I, so it was, it was a wonderful sort of life's epiphany, a moment like that. Which um, One of my central experiences was a short uh, BBC documentary uh, on uh, schools in the slums in Nairobi. No, not in Nairobi, in Lagos. Yes, the one I did. Yes, 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 yes that's right. And I found that so it, it, it started I, I showing that. that it's <laughs> yes, yes, it, 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 uh, it actually um, changed my perception. Yes. Well, of, I mean, that was an interesting, because so we had it on Newsnight. There was, a, right, there yes. was a clip there, and then it was also on BBC World. And then there was, but, a, there was a person afterwards. There was a professor there. Yes. So it, but that just was very interesting, because it shows the sort of, progress of this whole idea in a way. First of all, there was total denial okay, from yes. everyone, total denial that this phenomenon could possibly exist. Yes. Then I managed to persuade the BBC, you know, not known for its left-wing ideas, as you know, uh, not known for its market-oriented ideas, yes, yes. Um, to come to see what was happening. And I think in the slum of Makoko, yes. and I think what for them it was, they liked the idea of this very sort of soft focus story, they thought there's maybe one little strange mm. little school in yes, the slums yes. and they'd follow a girl to school yes. and the rest of them. It was yes. over a hundred, wasn't it? Well, then they, then, you know, then they kept on bumping into school after school after school. Yes. And then they, um, we, we, we got permission to go to the government schools um, and interview the Commissioner of Education. And the Commissioner of Education was so complacent. About it was a lady, wasn't it? I well, so that was the deputy. So, uh, that, yeah, so <laughs> again, oh, she was... She was pretty yes. powerfully awful. She called the parents ignoramuses. Yes. 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 The commissioner, on the other hand, was very suave, very Oxford educated. And he said, in the past, our staff were, um, you know, not very well, you know, not, not very good and so on. But now they're well trained and well disciplined. Unfortunately, I, I had that voiceover over a, a film of the teacher at Fast Asleep in his class and, yes. The, yes. and the, yes. the child teaching. Because that was the first class we went into. We wasn't set up. But anyway, so I was right. saying about denial, then sort of slight acceptance, and um, and then you know now everyone knows about these schools, but. That, that was 2005. But you know, there is a, there's always a narrative among civil servants in particular that uh, the, the parents have to be, you know, persuaded to send their children to school. Uh, I, I mean, is that your experience? Um, it's not my experience on, uh, from any, you know, I've been working on, uh, I say, every continent on this planet except for Antarctica, looking at <laughs> children, <laughs> parents, and schools, and I'm sure the same applies to Antarctica. <laughs> um, and uh, it, educating your children seems to be as natural as feeding, wanting to feed, clothe, and house your children. Exactly. Obviously, mm-hmm. one or two. Even for people with very low incomes. It's just a natural thing that yes. the parents want to do. Yeah. Um, to, to initiate them into their society and to prepare them for adult life, which is what education is. It's incredibly natural. So I don't see um, 
with obviously some exceptions, a small number of exceptions in all societies, it's very natural. Um, no one has to be persuaded. Compulsion, compulsory education history of it shows that it normally followed yes. um, universal education and near universal education. Hector, you know, um, the last two events that we had uh, with, with you here in, in, in Gomasbach, uh, the first reaction uh, you get from many participants is one of disbelief, $7 mm. per mm. month mm. to send a child to school at your schools. Mm. Can you make a profit on that kind of low budget? I think you absolutely can. And that's the whole reason why we're going to scale, because we're not only sustainable, we are replicable and we're scalable. And that's the model that we have proven with Professor James Tooley. To be fair, it's 7 to $12 per month. Yes. Exactly. exactly. Yes. But that includes books. That includes free books and free uniform as well, just to remove the barrier of entry into education. So to your various schools in, uh, in India and in Gujarat, where, where, you're, where you're based, uh, you, you said you, you had a total of uh, 6,000. Uh, Over 6,000. Yes, this is the Zoda schools. And then you have, you have the other uh, um, set of schools that you were talking about, and they have a similar number, is that right? So we have now merged Soda and Cadmus schools. Um, Soda is what my father had started originally as a family yes. business. Yes. And James and I co-founded Cadmus Education Private Limited in 2013. And now we are collectively a Soda Cadmus brand. Yes. You were mentioning today that uh, that, that you, you're coming uh, across a, a lot of difficult, uh, you know, challenges uh, because the, the government is starting to notice you and has um, has has, um, has has devised, you know, a number of regulations which you find are very very res uh, restrictive in their in, in their effect. Um, what what are the main problems that you today have, uh, given the new regulations that you are talking about? I think the regulations are mainly aimed at schools capping their fees. Um, the government has noticed that, uh, as you know, in India, education is not for profit. And the government has very much noticed that there are entrepreneurs who are serving the gap in the market, who are plugging the gap for the failing government schools. And there is a little bit of profit to be made as well. As you know, there are different startups. There is a low-cost school. There is a high-end school. There is a huge spectrum of private schools rather than just having the elite education system in private. Um, but the challenges are mainly when the government asks you to take 25% children as part of the Right to Education Act program, where the government promises you a fully and timely reimbursement, which hasn't happened so far for us yes. at Soda Schools, which is a huge letdown, and it in return pushes you to push your fees higher because you have to make up when you have a business model that's running on a very small margin, you really have to push the fees mm. up. And in return, what it has done is that it's pushing parents out of choice mm. who have originally chosen us over government schools. They are now being pushed out of private school, even though they are as cheap as $7 to $12 a mm. month. So sadly, the government has mm. noticed the wrong part of the education system that was flourishing and serving the poor. The other one is um, fees cap. Now, if you look at Gujarat, a huge percentage of private schools are the low-cost private schools. They are not the high-end private schools. But since some of the private schools were noticed by the government, the general rule 
dawned on all of us, which is quite sad and, and mm. you know, disappointing the way government has looked at mm. us, especially when you do not receive any funding from them. So mm. it's it's high regulatory environment to be existing in and also to flourish, quite a challenge. Before I hand over to, um, to Manali, um, how can, uh, do you or what do you think the solution is when it comes to the poorest of the poor? I mean, it was very obvious from your presentation that the people who do send the children to your school are very, very poor, uh, particularly if you compare with our standards of living, but even if you, if you compare to standards of living in some of the major cities in India. Absolutely. So, but, uh, but there is another category, people who, uh, who don't generate very much income at all. What, what, what are your ideas there? Yeah. But I, I think it's really important to, to stress that no no schools are affordable to the very very poor. Yes. Okay. Um, the I've got plenty of data on this, and I can share some of it. Yeah. Um, well, we have it in we have it in Nairobi as well, yeah. because because uh, even people who go to state schools yeah. have to mm. supply books and yeah. uniforms. Yeah. I mean, you have to, yeah. Yes. I mean, the basic thing: shoes, uniforms, yes. books, yes. Uh, transport. Exactly. Uh, and, and particularly transport. Government schools are normally further away. Mm-hmm. The private schools are in the community. Governments yes. are further yes. away. So we've done data. We've done research on this and found that the cost to a parent. Okay, I'm a parent. The cost for me to send my child to a government school is about seventy five percent of the cost of sending my child to a private school. Okay, yes. the, the fees, in other words, are quite a small part yes. of the overall yes. cost. Yes. Once you take all the costs, yes. Yes. so. So if you're really, really poor, nothing is affordable to you, yes. neither government nor private school. That's, that's the first thing. S- secondly, um, I, I would say, yes, so clearly we want to help the poorest. We want to help them into, into school. Some people say, well, therefore, we've got to improve the government schools. I'm very happy for people to continue in that way in trying to improve the government schools. They've been doing it for decades and with apparently very little progress in my view. So... I, I'm much more in favour of, of ways of, uh, of methods of targeting vouchers, targeting assistance to the very poorest to help them come to, yes. to come to us. Now, we have a friend in, in a It's a kind of crop cross subsidisation. Well, so you can do so you can do it in various ways. I mean, one is it, it, pure, pure philanthropy, or or indeed international aid. I mean, there's a debate about whether mm. one should have that, but international aid or debate could fund vouchers, but. Oh, can also just give cash to the poor. Exactly. <laughs> Giving cash to the poor, you know, the, the problem of the poor accessing these low-cost private schools is nothing other, there's no other problem than they've got any money. Mm. So yes. give them money and they access the schools because, you know, this is a very natural thing for parents to want to do. So either cash or, or vouchers um, targeted to the poor. Um, philanthropy can do this. You can have cross-subsidy. And, and in fact, many of the low-cost private schools do that already. Mm. They have a situation where some proportion, it could be 5%, some schools, it could be 15% of their places are allocated free or at subsidized rates. Now, that could be almost as a marketing thing, send two children and get a third mm. free. Mm. Um, you know, buy two, get one free. That's quite common. Um, or it could be because a child started in the school and then gets orphaned or whatever, and the, 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 the school manager just keeps the child there mm. for free. Or it could be a deliberate attempt to bring in the poorest 
um, you know, perhaps under a scholarship under your father's name or whatever. You know, so there's various mechanisms of doing that. And it's a well-developed concept, you know, the different ways. Uh, it's not as if uh, people are imagining schools for the for the poor without any idea of how to implement such uh, such schools. It's already working, and things are working that way already. So we don't have yeah, to. Yeah, I, I think. So. But yeah. you know, it can be extended. Obviously, any idea of vouchers or targeted vouchers. Uh, runs the risk of moral hazard, you know. Yes, of course. You know, how do you distinguish, you know, or, or what do you say to the, the father who's really hardworking, stays there, raises children, works hard? What do you say to, to him when you know that the feckless father has run off and his daughter is being funded through a voucher, whereas he had the, 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 yes. the, well, the well-meaning father has to stay, you know. I mean, there's a moral hazard yes. here, of yes. course. Yes. Um, but... In all our work, I think we were, we're concerned about the poorest of the poor. But there's one other thing that tends to get missed here. And that is, you know, you've commented on the, the fees and actors school being low. I believe we can get them even lower. You know, mm. competition brings down fees, yes. in my view. Yes. So it's, it's not that it's a fixed level. You've got private schools here always being that yes. big. Let's see if we can bring them down. Maybe a combination of technology or, um, well, in Honduras, for instance, we're using different regulations to bring down the cost of schooling. Yes. So it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, I mean, you might say... Things like building regulations. Yeah, so you've got... Yeah. Already there's sort of very few frills in schools, but you can have no frills. Or, but still, it's better than nothing. You know? And it might be a lot better than nothing. Yes. In fact, better than the government schools yes. as well. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so I'd like to pick up from, you know, when you look at parents, mm. you know, you talked about parents and, you know, delivering customer service mm. because you regard parents as customers. So Absolutely. essentially in your research, how would you see uh, state schools and private schools? And how... What is a parent's experience in both? How does a parent feel and feel treated in a private school? And how is that different from being treated in a government school? I think, um, as I put it earlier, that uh, when parents come to us, we do not take it lightly. We take it very, very seriously because for us, we consider that parents are investing in a luxury good, mm -hmm. uh, which they will be loyal to over 14 years of their lifetime. Mm -hmm. So which is a quite a serious amount of time that they are committing yes. to you. Mm -hmm. So we take them as customers very seriously. Um, there is service, there is, and, and we get a lot of uh, parents who have been cheated, who have been mistreated um, in the government schools. I think the very story behind Professor James Tooley and I co-founding Cadmus um, was the story that we, when we were visiting the Jetty at uh, Sikha, where our first flagship school opened, we were talking to some parents and James uncovered a story where uh, he said that, you know, where do your children go to school? And this poor fisherman says that um, they don't go to any school. And shocked as James was, he digged further and, and found uh, the story that his two kids used to go to a government school. Mm -hmm. Of one dropped out at class five and the other one dropped at class nine. Mm -hmm. Because the parent was so alert about their education, he was going again and again to complain that the teachers are not delivering what they should. Mm -hmm. And I'm worried that my child in class five cannot read and write. Right. So is there something you can do? Mm -hmm. But the parent was reported to police for harassment 
yeah. and he was put behind bars you know for harassment so we have a lot of stories like this where parents have left the government schools and they come to a private school and they see a world of difference here you are a customer you are not somebody who's inflicted on us here you're very welcome any time of day we have helpline services that run 24/7 you can phone in any time for little queries because we realize that we serve the very low income community which is a daily wage earner so if they are coming to school for a small query that means they're losing out on the day's wage so it's very important to understand all the perspective of where these parents come yes, from yeah. so yeah yeah well, i think actors raised a really really important point this whole idea of the luxury good i mean yes. amongst ourselves we call these schools low cost and obviously we've got to somehow differentiate yes. them but if you're a parent and you're poor they're actually high cost you know there's a big proportion of your income and actors exactly right you know think of 20% of our income you know what we yeah. want to spend that on think of 20% of your income what that is and what sort of service you expect when you're spending 20% of your income so this is a luxury good for these people we're, we're dealing with and actors absolutely right here and it's a real insight that she's she's brought brought up So, in your work and research, what have you found has been the effect on the state schools of this ecosystem of low-cost schools? So, has this uh, the movement of parents away from state schools to schools to private schools has it led to any impact whatsoever on the state schools? Either being worried, I know you were being quoted as being a dangerous man when it comes to talking about <laughs> state schools. So, what is the future here? Where do you see state schooling yeah. in the future? It might also be, um, you know, interesting at this point, you know, to. Uh, to tell our viewers that if you look at India and Pakistan, up to forty percent of the population are now sending their children to, to private schools. To yeah. private schools, yes, yeah. and 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 the figure. So the, the the best figures we have are from India and the, the, the rural, ACA data. Yeah. The, the rural figure is thirty percent across, mm-hmm. yes, and the urban Urbanism. figure is seventy eight percent. So that combines oh, to bring us, and it's and it's rising all the time, mm-hmm. rising yes. all the time. The figures from Lagos State in Nigeria, which is the most studied part of Africa, yes, the figures are now over seventy percent in mm-hmm. private school, and that's a, it's mainly urban, but it's a little bit of rural area, yes, yes, yes. Um, and and again rising, rising, rising. Mm-hmm. Um, so so. Um, The question, sorry. Uh, yeah. So, so what do you see as a future oh, in terms of the impact on yeah, the state? state yeah. I, I mean, if uh, if the state schools, and by state we mean public mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. international terms, um, if the public schools have incentives not to lose students, then of course losing students to the private sector could impact on them. If you know, if you're mm-hmm. the head teacher and you lose salary, if you lose children. Yes. Then, then that would be a problem. But unfortunately, that never happens anywhere, and it doesn't seem likely to happen mm-hmm. anywhere. There's a lot of vested interests wanting to stop that. Mm-hmm. So, in the end, there's no impact on on schools. In <laughs> fact, there might even be a sigh of relief. Um, oh, we had 30 kids in our class a year ago. Now we've only got 15. <laughs> Hooray! I, could, you know. I, I think one wonderful thing that has emerged in the last few years is that the international community mm-hmm. is taking a good notice. of this sector and people are pulling together from various agencies you know UK Switzerland America everywhere 
to come together mm-hmm. to acknowledge that here is a solution which is self-organized. Right. Uh, it may not be in its best shape, mm-hmm. but how can we make it better? Correct. Uh, and I think that's a great um, trend that has emerged in the last few years. And there's lots of philanthropy. There's lots of social impact funding now available for entrepreneurs like us. Yes. So I think that has been a very positive change. Mm-hmm. And in terms of government schools, I think if they are great, they will survive. If not, then what will happen to it is what the market will decide. You've, you've looked a lot at uh, performance uh, comparing state and private, uh, private schools, low, low budget uh, private schools. Uh, how, how does output compare in terms of what uh, pupils are, are able to achieve? Yeah. In the example of Lagos, for instance, mm. you, uh, you showed that uh, they actually do reach often better they have better grades than their the, the counterparts in state schools. Yeah, always. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, I, I'll stick my head out. I might stick my neck out and say that, um, as far as I'm aware, all the proper studies that have been done show that, um, which you can control for all the uh, background variables, the selectivity bias, and, and mm-hmm. so on. You, you'll get um, better performance from the children in private schools and the government schools. There was a headline study, the Andhra Pradesh voucher study, which has always been held up as the gold standard of research in this area. And it came out with a slightly different finding. And remember, this is about vouchers. It's not just about kids going to private schools. So this was where kids were given, poor kids were given vouchers um, in Telugu-speaking rural communities to go to private schools um, or they went to the government schools. It was a proper, proper design study. And it showed that there was no significant difference between the performance in Telugu, mathematics, mm-hmm. science, um, um, but the private schools did the same. Actually, they did better because they also taught Hindi and a few other things. Right. So they did more for a third of the cost. Now, some people were quite happy with that. That shows at least the private schools are doing better. I was very uncomfortable with this result, knowing as I do, what rural government schools are like. And I, and I so I investigated further, and as luck would have it, as chance would have it, I discovered that they'd actually use different tests, this research. Oh, researchers. Um, and it was just, it's a subtle difference, but anyway, a randomized control trial, yes. should be, everything should be identical, apart exactly. from something you're after, in this case, vouchers. So even if we didn't know how this would affect it, we would say that the result is now important. But actually, it was quite clear how it would affect it. Yeah. What they did was they, they gave English, they gave the tests in mathematics and science and social science in English mm-hmm. to those half of the private schools that said they were English medium, and they gave them in Telugu to those other half of the private schools that said Telugu medium and the government schools. In other words, all the government schools and half the private schools got tests in Telugu, half the pri- private schools got tests in English. And it's absolutely clear how this would affect the results. Imagine you've got poor kids, Telugu speaking, being put into an English medium uh, private school and then being given tests in English. Yes. But these English medium private schools in the rural areas, and they're, they're, mm. they're aspirational mm. English, mm. They, but at lower levels, they're not so, so your advice would always be, look at the methodology. Yeah. When so people, uh, a lot yes. of time when randomized control trials, uh, Angus Dayton, the, yes. uh, the yes. Nobel Prize winner for economics, yes. came up with this. People get blinded by this. A randomized control trial must be brilliant. This one had a basic flaw. They used different tests. Yes. Fortunately, you could find the data comparing the Telugu speaking private schools with the Telugu speaking government schools 
It's there. I published a, a response there, yes. and that shows a massive half a standard deviation improved by the private yes. schools. Yes. yes, and achieved at a third of the cost. So, <laughs> yes. so you know, so that's why I feel very confident. You know, once you look at any of the evidence in depth, yes. you'll find this sort of result coming through clearly. Yes. So you talked about the international community now you know, realizing the potential that is sitting mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So if you look at now the role of government, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so this this system exists, it's mm-hmm. there, it's growing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so what should the government be doing to support, enable, uh, you know, there are concerns that our participants raised about quality that mm-hmm. came up a lot that yes, we have a lot of private schools growing, but there are issues of quality, there are issues of access because there are few good ones, so there is a rush to go there. So, so really, what would you see as the ideal role of government in terms of enabling such an ecosystem and also ensuring quality and access? I think most importantly, before I go into what the government can do for us, I think if the government did nothing, that would be best and just left it to our own devices and let us carry on with the good philanthropy, good social enterprise, social impact that we're trying to achieve through our work, uh, and not clip our wings by introducing things like Right to Education Act, you know, the fees cap in Gujarat. I believe that Gujarat was one of the more progressive thinking state. Mm-hmm. But um, when we received the fees cap, I, it was quite a shock to the system to be existing in that very state that you were so proud of. Mm-hmm. Well, we tend to forget, the, um, you know, this, uh, this very, very... A good book by James Bartholomew. Bartholomew, he's a dear friend. Uh, <laughs> yes, in which he, in a chapter, uh, described uh, the British educational system before schools became compulsory and afterwards. Mm. Mm. And uh, and I find that I found that eye opening. But of course, most people don't don't read such uh, yes. such books. So this is the welfare state we're in. We're in. Yes, in exactly. Chapter. I think there's a little acknowledgement to the E.G. West Center at Newcastle yes. University. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, no, but this is this is this is really really important isn't it? because um, most people, you know, if if asked this question, tend to think without the state there would be no school. Yes, and what the, it was actually the the, the history the historical work of Professor E.G. West, who's yes. my who's my mentor, hero, yes. whatever you want to call it, in, in, inspiration for all my work. That's the reason why I went into the slums in Hyderabad yes. uh, after his work to, to see what was going on because he showed that in Victorian England, in the slums of Newcastle, London, Manchester and Liverpool, there were low-cost private yes. schools. Well, there were three types of private schools. Um, and in fact, the Newcastle Commission of 1861 had reported yes. on evidence collected in 1858. Um, it showed that 95.5% of children were in school for an average of 5.7 years. Yes. Okay. Very yes. thorough survey, very yes. well, very yes. professional job, one might yes. say. On the and that's, this was a long time before the, the 1870 was, and this was actually a lead up to it. You know, we yes. want the state yes. to get involved, so let's find out what's going yes. on already. Yes. yes. Um, and, and it found out this extraordinary figure. And there were three types of schools. So as expected, there were church schools. Yes. Um, sorry, there were four types of schools. There were church schools. There were some elite private yes. schools, which were called the public schools then. There were philanthropic schools, yes. but then there was this fourth type of school, which tend to get completely missed, and they were what were disparagingly, pejoratively called the Dane schools, okay. typically run by a woman, yes. Yes. and not always, with unqualified teachers in a rented or a make or non-bespoke building, 
Um, does any of this ring a bell? You know, these are low cost prices. And the interesting thing was the literacy rates were so high. And uh, parents and loved them. Yeah. And because one of the things yeah. is we are, we wonder, you know, uh, people uh, produced uh, political pamphlets uh, in in yeah. uh, runs of half a million. Yeah. You know, practically impossible to yeah. to conceive today. But uh, but uh, but that was the reality, and yeah. people read them and who yeah. read them. Yes. Yeah, and you wrote about that in the, the beautiful tree, right? Well, this is about the Indian history, where well, yeah, yes, yeah. their own schooling. Right? Yeah, I mean that was again a very exciting finding, and that that was the historical work of Dalrymple, mm-hmm. um, which was extraordinary work. And again, he didn't say this, um, he, so he pointed to Gandhi. Gandhi's statement in 1931 in the in Chatham House in London yes. um, was. Yes. Um, that in India was more literate before the British imposed education, and then the British uncovered the root of the beautiful tree, hence the name of my book, yes, and, uh, yes. Yes. Um, and uh, the beautiful tree perished. And what was he talking about? He was talking about, well, actually, again, he was referring to very well-collected British evidence, evidence. Yes. particularly from the, the Madras presidency of Sir Thomas Monroe, but also from Bengal and Bombay, yes. um, those, those presidencies. And um, the, the headline figure from, from Bengal presidency was one lakh, one hundred thousand schools, village schools, which were serving the poor in most most villages in the Madras presidency. Now, Dharampur didn't specify this, but you look at the evidence and say, well, these weren't run by the state usually; they were set up by individuals in the villages, and they were paid for in kind or money by the parents. What are they? They're low cost private schools. So these. For this phenomenon was there pre the British getting involved in education in India. It was pre the state getting involved in education in England. Evidence also from New South Wales, Australia, New York and Massachusetts states. It seems to be a phenomenon that's there. Um, going back to that thing we said, it's this natural. It's wanting to feed, clothe and house your children to educate them. It's, I see it as a very natural part of the spontaneous order once we stop the state interfering, which goes back to your question. Mm-hmm. Like it, I don't see much of a role for the state. So, how do we how do we get people to change their attitudes, particularly uh, in in um, in so called highly developed uh, countries where there, there seems to be a prejudice against uh, education that is not you know so called free. I mean, all, all education is paid for; it's just paid yeah. for indirectly via the taxpayer. But you know, there's this concept: we have a right to free education. Uh, and yet we see on the uh, we see in the sidelines, you know, parents, you know, bu- uh, buying education for their children. You know, it's a, it might be uh, it might be for coaching children. Um, we have a lot of that here in Germany. Yeah. Uh, that, that parents pay a lot uh, to have their children coached. Yeah. These people don't uh, don't keep up. We also have in many European countries a phenomenon that parents pay for music lessons for their for their children and so on. And it's not only middle class parents who do this. I mean, I was a I was a beneficiary of this as well. My parents were very were, were very were very poor, in fact, because there were immigrants in, 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 the, U, uh, in the UK who struggled to make ends meet, but they insisted that all their children uh, have music lessons, so we all learned a musical instrument yeah. and so on. So, and, and you have the language schools, which later on you pay for in order to improve your own opportunities. Yeah. So, so the, the issue of you know, European countries, America or whatever, it, it's a different question. And, yes. uh, you know, I'm always... I'm always 
I was reluctant to get, get engaged with that, or I have been until recently, get yes. engaged. And, but, you know, schools in Germany are fine, or schools in England are fine, you know, what, what's the problem? And I suppose my, my response was always in the past, compared to what? Mm-hmm. Where's the counterfactual of mm-hmm. education without the state? Exactly. Yeah. And I think the, the answer, obviously, we don't have it, but it's pretty likely, yes. in my view, that if the state wasn't involved, yes, you've got a pretty, it's, it's a situation that works a little bit, but if the state was involved, maybe you have something much more marvellous, much more joyful, much more engaging, and so on. But my second response, a, a couple of years back, I couldn't travel for a while, and so I did some research in Newcastle, mm-hmm. where I'm on base, and just to see if there was any appetite for low-cost private schools there. And... I was you know, hanging around on the street corners and marketplaces in Newcastle, poor part, uh, relatively poor parts of Newcastle. And the response was, you know, would you like a private education for children? Yeah, of course. <laughs> but of course we can't afford it. And I said, well, supposing it was £50 a week, about 20% said they could afford it. So I got a little business plan together and managed to convince a couple of other people yes. of the possibility here. And, um, and we have, we, we've, we've been trying to get government approval for this. Yes. We've so far failed on some small details, yes. hopefully we'll get it. But um, we, so we haven't publicized anything, but the media has grabbed hold of this. There's a lot of interest here. I've got lots of headlines from this, ranging from the Sons of the Times, yes. um, No Frills Private School. No frills. And we've had, without any advertising, we've had 100 parents yeah. um, giving expressions of interest to us. And they range, they include state school teachers, they include <laughs> academics, as well as the single mums. Actually, there's some interesting, you've got dual, you've got single mums with a single grandmum, you know, as it were, yeah, supporting yeah, a child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're all very excited. So clearly, and, and this is actually a very important part of my philosophy, it's not just how bad the state schools are, the public schools yes, are, yes. that leads to this desire for private education. It's also a desire for control, mm. for accountability. And interesting enough, some of these state school parents, one of their responses was, um, the state schools are fine. No, no, no. Yes, yes. State schools are fine. Just not good enough for my child. So, I mean, my last question would be, you know, in terms of uh, uh, would private schools, are, like in your book on the war and peace mm. and the conflict regions, you said people... Are seeing this as a temporary solution, so that's mm-hmm. where the movement is now. But yes, what? It's a temporary solution. Mm-hmm. But do you see this becoming a permanent solution to education? Yeah, I, I think this is a really good, 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 good thing to end on because uh, um, everyone, you know, from denial we talked about earlier, yes. everyone denying mm-hmm. the existence of these schools. Now people accept them, but they accept them as a temporary solution mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until we get the public mm-hmm. schools sorted out. And uh, I, I ask why, and what's not to like about these pri- <laughs> private schools? They outperform the government schools. They're affordable to the poor. Yeah. They're uh, more better value for money. All yes. these things. Um, I think you should see them as peace solution, yeah. rather than temporary. I think they're going to flourish. Uh, there's no doubt about that. You know, being an entrepreneur myself, I can only see competition improving as the days go by. And private schools are here to say they're not going to go anywhere. That's my view of the world. And uh, I think 
it takes a lot to take people or to mobilize people from denial to acknowledgement to acceptance and then to thriving mm-hmm. and i think that that process is here to stay it's not going anywhere low cost private schools are the future okay thank you, thank you very very much